Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you are here and uh, really just excited to uh, dig in with you uh, into God's Word here today. So uh, I just want to highlight real quick, NTS Camp, it really, really was amazing. A video does not do it justice, although uh, Amy, who put that together, did an amazing job. She, she just, that was incredible. Uh, but I would just say that the amount, uh, the experiences that we had, the, the different things, that we, it was just incredible. It was just incredible. Um, to be face-to-face with uh, some of our uh, guy leaders and to be face-to-face with some of our high schoolers. I was with the high school boys. And, uh, and when you pray with them and you talk to them and you start digging in for real and then they start crying and you go, oh, we are serious now. Like, this is real. And uh, God moved a whole lot. And, uh, and truly what Laura said, we want NTS not to be a memory, but to be a movement. And I believe it can be. I believe it will be. And, uh, and I'm excited. So uh, let me just put one more plug really quickly for Summer at the Park. So tonight, uh, I don't know if we're going to be able to have it depending on the weather, but that doesn't matter. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to invite everybody who's breathing. You thought I was joking. I wasn't. <laughs> no, I wasn't. So some of you, here's, here, seriously, uh, some of you are on neighborhood boards. Like you have social media boards. You know what you should do today, this afternoon, is you should put that out and invite everybody that you know on that neighborhood board from that neighborhood. I don't care if they're in Kilkenny or not. doesn't matter. Who cares? They can drive to Kilkenny. It takes like three minutes from everywhere in Wanakee. It's easy, right? Uh, I want you to invite. If you have somebody that you know that maybe they're not thinking about church or God and all that, you know what? That's awesome. We have pulled smoked pork. Leon's been cooking that sucker since yesterday. And I saw a picture of it. It looks amazing. We're going to have a blast. The whole point of this is so that we can get our church together and hang out and have a good time so you guys can meet each other, but so that we can invite other people in. And, and, and if I invite them, they expect that, but they don't necessarily expect it from you. And so when they hear it from you, that's when they're actually going to come. Because they're like, oh, I'm getting invited from somebody that I think is normal. The pastor's not normal, clearly. But somebody else who's normal, they, then they'll listen. And so your job this afternoon is invite as many people as you can. Keep tuned into email and social media, because if we have to cancel, we will. But let's get everybody invited anyway in the meantime. Is that cool? Fair? All right, and we'll see you tonight at the park, hopefully, and uh, we're going to have a blast. All right, Uh, so welcome, glad you're here. So we are in a series, uh, a summer series right now that's going to last through the month of July, actually, and it's very simply called Ordinary to Extraordinary. We're talking about people in God's Word, in the Bible, who are ordinary people, but they do extraordinary things with God and for God. And because of God. And so today is actually one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. We're going to talk about the story of Esther today. If you've read the book of Esther, it is a really, really cool book. Uh, Side note, really cool. NTS camp, they focused the entire week on the book of Esther. We literally read the book of Esther. And I was like, hey, this is cool. I chose to like, speak on Esther. I didn't know that before we chose this. And so that was really cool. I'm not actually going to use anything from camp, uh, although it was awesome, because I already had kind of a plan of where we were going. 
But anyway, we'll get that. So the story of Esther is really cool. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to start giving you some historical context to the story because it's really important to understand the story. Okay, so bear with me because there's a lot of context. Usually I kind of give a short couple of statements. This is what we're doing, and then I read. This is going to take a little bit to get there, okay? Because I'm only going to read one part of one chapter of Esther, and so I need to give some context, all right? So here we go. So the timing of this story of Esther happens around 480 B.C. The reason that's important is we need to know it was about 500 years before Jesus is born. Before he arrives on earth, okay? At this time in history, the Israelites, the Jewish people, have recently been conquered by a group of people called the Persians, okay? The Persians have established what at that time in history is arguably the largest empire in human history up to that point, okay? It stretches all the way from India all the way to Eastern Europe. It is humongous. Okay, there you go. You kind of get an idea of the scale, the scope, and the size of this massive empire. The Persians conquered a lot of people. The Jewish people were a part of that. Okay, so as a result of them being conquered, the Persians, what they did to make sure that the Jews were not going to rebel against them in the future, they exiled them and scattered them throughout the entire Persian empire. So the Jewish people are now spread all over the Persian Empire. Many of them are located in and around the capital city of Susa. You can kind of see this right there in the southern part of it. Okay? This is where King Xerxes ruled the Persian Empire from, was the, the capital city of Susa. So there's this royal palace, there's all this stuff, and there's a whole bunch of Jewish people that are living in and around that city. Okay? Now, fast forward a little bit. King Xerxes, at this point in the story, is looking for a wife. He's looking for a queen. I'm not going to get into the backstory of why he's doing that. He got rid of the previous queen. I'll just say that. Okay? So he's looking for a new wife, a new queen. Okay? Because the king can do those kind of things. I'm not saying it's right, but that's what he did. And so he's looking for a queen, and his advisors say, You know what, king? We have a really good idea. Why don't you have, like, a contest... For the women to kind of come in, it's kind of like a beauty contest, but then there's other things involved. And, and then you can pick the person that you think would be a, a great wife and a great queen. Right? That's basically what's going on here. Okay? Um, and so there's this contest, right? And the king is looking for a queen. Uh, how many of you, no, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you that. How many of you like that show called The Bachelor? It's essentially that in ancient world kind of mantra. Okay, that's exactly what's going on. They just didn't have TV cameras for it. Okay, that's all that's going on. Like, they're all going to come in, they're all going to compete for the king's attention, and then he's going to choose one, right? And no, they didn't have a rose ceremony and all the stuff, which is just sad and pathetic in my opinion, but I'm glad you guys love it, okay? That's exactly what's going on. King Xerxes is looking for a queen. There's this guy named Mordecai who lives in and around and actually works in and around the palace of Susa. He's a Jewish man. He has a cousin who's younger than him named Esther, who's a young woman. And he suggests to Esther that she should go into this contest. She should go on The Bachelor and vie for the king's attention. And so she agrees, she does, she enters this contest, and I'm just fast-forwarding through a whole bunch of stuff in the book of Esther. 
But she wins the favor of the king, and he chooses this Jewish woman to be queen. He marries her. She becomes his wife. She becomes queen of Persia. Here's the kicker. He and nobody else except Mordecai and Esther and their family know that she's Jewish. Her nationality, her ethnicity is hidden. He didn't know that he has just chosen a Jewish woman to be queen of Persia. And so she's queen, she's taken into the palace, all this stuff is happening. All this is great until there's this other guy. You know in every story there has to be like an evil antagonist. There's this evil antagonist, his name is Haman. And Haman is a really evil, hateful kind of guy. He just is. And he is put as second in charge underneath King Xerxes in all of the Persian kingdom. And uh, he is just this evil guy. And so when he is kind of going through the palace gates, all that stuff, Mordecai is usually at the gate to the palace. And everybody is supposed to bow down to, uh, to Haman when he walks by because he's been put as second in command under the king. Well, when he walks through, Mordecai stands proud. He doesn't bow to Haman. He doesn't bow to Haman for two reasons. One, he knows Haman is evil, so he's not going to give him the honor. And Mordecai is a Jew, which means he serves God faithfully and believes in God, and he doesn't believe that bowing before somebody else other than God is good. And so he stands, and so how do you think Haman feels about that? Well, he's pretty ticked. He's really angry. And he finds out that Mordecai is a Jewish man. And so Haman, being evil, he decides, I don't want to just get revenge against Mordecai. I want to get revenge on all of Mordecai and his people, all of the Jewish people. And so he comes up with a horrible plan. He decides that he wants to purge the Persian kingdom of all Jewish people. It sounds just like what it is, genocide. That's what it is. And so he goes to King Xerxes and says, hey, these people, are, they're, sub, they're, they're subversive to you and, and they're undermining your kingdom. He tricks him and he tricks King Xerxes into signing a law that at a year from now, on a certain day, there's going to be a purge of all Jewish people. Everybody can kill any Jewish person that they can find. It's pretty evil, isn't it? This is Haman's plan. And Xerxes signs it into law, and in Persian law, we actually know this by their own documents back then in B.C. times, when a Persian king signed a law, it was unrepealable. They could make a new law that would kind of counteract that law, but they cannot repeal a law. It could not be repealed. It could not be taken off the books. So once it's law, it's set in stone, so to speak. And so he signs this law that a year from now, on the same day, they're going to purge all Jewish people. It's basically what the Nazis tried to do in World War II. That's exactly what's going on. And so Haman tells King Xerxes, he says, and by the way, in order to make sure that this happens, I'm going to donate 10,000 bags of silver into the royal treasury to make sure we have money to pay for this. That's how evil it is. So Mordecai finds out. What do you think his response is? Well, he obviously starts to go into grieving and mourning for his people. He just found out that his people are going to be wiped out. Everybody is going to be killed. And so he puts on, in the Jewish culture, when you were grieving and you were mourning, when something terrible was happening, they took their regular clothes off and they put on what is called sackcloth. And it sounds really weird because it feels like it would be a sack, but it wasn't. It was, it was like 
It, it was this awful garment that was made out of goat hair, not refined goat hair, like actual goat hair, and it was scratchy and itchy and awful. It was just horrible to wear, but they would put that on in order to show everybody that they were grieving and mourning. And so Mordecai put on this, and he's grieving and he's mourning and he's wailing at the palace gates. Well, Esther is queen, right? And so she hears about this, and she gets really upset because Mordecai is her family. He's, he's her cousin. And, he, and so she sends this guy named Hathak, a messenger. See, the queen doesn't go her. She doesn't have to go herself anymore. She can, she can send messengers to do her thing. And so she sends this guy named Hathak to Mordecai. She said, go find out what's wrong with my cousin Mordecai. I don't know why he's in sackcloth. Okay? So that's where we're going to pick up the story. Mordecai is about to receive this messenger from his cousin Esther, who is queen, and she's going to try to find out what's going on. All right, so Esther chapter 4, I'm going to read with, starting with verse 7. So Mordecai told him, this messenger from Esther, the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathak a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathak to direct her, this is Esther, to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. So just to sum up before I read this next part, Esther receives this message back from Mordecai. Mordecai basically tells her two things. She says, Esther, the king has signed a law that says all of us are going to be murdered. On, one, on the same day, they're going to kill us. They're going to wipe us out. Haman put in 10,000 bags of silver to do this. And so what Mordecai says to Esther through the messenger is, what I want to ask you to do is go to the king and plead on behalf of our people. Save our people. All right? Esther has a response to her cousin Mordecai. Let me read it. Very next verse. All right? Then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. It's been a month since she's seen the king. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. So again, just to sum up what's going on here, Mordecai says, Esther, you need to go before the king and plead on behalf of our people. And Esther sends a message back to Mordecai and says, listen, you don't know what you're asking. Everybody knows. You cannot just go and show up in front of the king. It is a death sentence unless he offers the gold scepter to you and then that spares your life. But otherwise, he could withhold that scepter and then I'm dead. I'm executed. It's over. She's scared for her life. Now, what I want to read for you next is the whole key to the whole book, the entire story of Esther. It's a bold statement, but what I'm about to read is Mordecai's response back to Esther, and it's what I want to focus on today. Listen to what Mordecai says through the messenger, back to Esther. Just a warning, it's fairly blunt and fairly straightforward. Listen to what he says. 
Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Pretty straightforward language, isn't it? He's calling his cousin out. That's exactly what he's doing. Mordecai is communicating two very important things to Esther in this moment. I want to talk about those two things. Because the same thing that Mordecai is saying to Esther, he's saying to you and he's saying to me. Again, I know that's a bold statement, but the same thing he's saying to Esther, he's saying to you and he's saying to me. Okay? What's the first thing that Mordecai is saying? The first thing that Mordecai is communicating is, did you notice the question that he asked? Let me, let, let's go back. Listen to this question. He asks this question. He says, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? Now, I don't know if you recognize this, but this is not a question where Mordecai is asking for an answer. Right? There are some times when teachers in a classroom will ask a question because they want an answer, and there are sometimes a teacher will ask a question because they simply want to make a point. This is the second one. This is not a question where Mordecai is asking Esther, do you think maybe that you're a queen because of this moment? He's not asking. He's telling. He's not asking for an answer. Mordecai is asking the question to make a very, very important point. And that point is very simply this. He's asking a rhetorical question to say, Esther, you are queen for a reason, for a purpose, and it's not so that you can enjoy a queen's life. You have a mission, Esther. You have a mission. You are there for such a time as this. And Mordecai asked this rhetorical question not to get an answer, but to make a point. And so let me just pause for a moment and ask you a rhetorical question. Oh, yay. Aren't you glad when we get to these moments? What if you... Think about yourself. Don't think about Esther. Don't think about Mordecai now for a moment. Set them aside. What if you are in your position in life, your job, your neighborhood, your friend group, your sport that you have chosen, your hobby, your community, your station in life, your reputation, your wealth, your status, your possessions, what if you have those realities not because God wanted to make your life comfortable, but because he's called you to a very special reason and purpose for being there? I'm just asking the question, what if? What if you're in the position you're in for such a time as this? What if God has a reason and a purpose for your life that's more than just trying to make it? Do you guys ever feel like you're just trying to make it? 
I'm with you. Not every day. Not even most days, I wouldn't say. But there are some days when I'm like, you know what, God? I just want to make it to the end of the day. Anybody else with me on that? I hear you. I hear you. But what if God is saying to us here today, this morning, hey, put your name in this. Take out Esther. Put your name in there. What if God is saying to you right now, you have a reason, you have a purpose, there is a mission for you, and it goes beyond just things are just happening. What is your purpose in life? What is it? Why are you here? Why do you exist? Why do you have the job that you have? Some of you are like, because I applied for it. (laughs) Okay. Is it possible that God gifted you in a certain way and made you make a decision about college or or not college and jumping right into the work field and then you worked your way up and and you're doing the thing you do now? But what if the decisions that you made have been guided and directed by God, informed by God, how God created you to be so that not only that you could have a job, but so that you could have impact in that job through that job, in that neighborhood, through that family, through those friends, is it possible? It's a question. See, Mordecai was saying to Esther, there's a mission for your life. You're not queen just to be queen. You're not queen just, you know, Because it just happened. Because I asked you to maybe throw your hat into and go on to the Bachelor TV show. You are queen for a reason. And that reason, Esther, is right now. Our people are going to be slaughtered. And you're the only one that stands in the way of that happening. Esther, you're queen for such a time as this. This is why you're here. And so Mordecai is very simply saying to Esther, and and God is saying to you and I this morning, your life doesn't just exist. It didn't just happen. I know our culture tells us that it did. I know that, that most people, they believe in just chance, luck. And I'm here to tell you that that stuff doesn't exist. It doesn't. There's a reason I, use, I don't use the word luck. I have at times. I've caught myself. But I don't use it because I don't believe in it. I don't. I believe God knows everything and all things. I believe there's a reason and a purpose on our life. And it's a special one. And so Mordecai is saying to Esther, you were made queen for such a time as this. I know he asked it in a question, but he's not asking He's telling. But then there's a second thing that Mordecai is doing here. And it really is closely linked to reminding Esther that she has a mission and a purpose in her life. It's really closely linked to this. And this might come across as harsh, but this is what Mordecai is doing. It's very obvious. 
how he speaks. Did you notice what he said before he asked the question, the rhetorical question? Let me, let me just, let's remind us what he said. Okay, let's go back to Esther 4, 13 and 14. This is what Mordecai says before he asks the rhetorical question. He says to Esther, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. That's pretty harsh stuff, right? Even from a cousin. Some of you are like, I have some cousins. I'm like, I don't know. That sounds about par for my cousins. This is brutal, straightforward language from Mordecai. What is he doing there? You know what he's doing there? He's not only wanting to remind Esther that she has a special mission and purpose in life, but he's reminding her that she forgot about it. That's what he's doing. He's calling her out. He's saying, Esther, you know you have a special purpose on your life, and you have abandoned it. You've walked away from it. In other words, he's saying, Esther, you are not queen so you can be comfortable. That's not why you're there. That's not why I put you on The Bachelor. I didn't get you into that place. I didn't suggest this so that you could live a cush life. And have attendance, attend your every need for all of life. You're there for such a time as this. There's a reason. Now the question becomes for us. What's our reason? What's our purpose? So if you are in the job, in the neighborhood, in the friend group, in the family, in the things that you have and that you exist in, if you're in the reality that you are for a reason and a purpose, what is that purpose? I want to be very clear. It's for very simply two things. For you to love Jesus and for you to help as many other people know that Jesus loves them. That's it. That's your purpose. Now, some of you in here might be thinking, I thought that was your purpose. You're the pastor. Hmm. Oh, man, do we have some theology to blow up. We at our church believe in something called the priesthood of all believers. It's a very fancy phrase. Here's what that means. It means that you do not need me to get to God. You know why? Because I'm not Jesus. Praise God for that. You're thanking God for that. I'm not Jesus. I am not your mediator between you and God. Can I help? Am I a part of this? Am I su supposed to be in this role? Yes, I'm supposed to be here, but I'm not your mediator between God and you. That's Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. Right? So what does that mean for you? What that means is when you give your life to Christ, you have direct access to God. You don't need me. By the way, yes, I know there are other churches and other denominations that preach differently than this. I'm saying we believe they're wrong. Okay? I don't stand between you and God. You can bypass me. In fact, I would prefer you do it. Not because I don't want to be involved, but because I'm just in the way. <laughs> Some of you know this because you've asked me questions. You're like, man, he would not shut up. <laughs> he just kept going. You have direct access to God. 
That's the whole point of Jesus. That's why we don't have to kill animals to sacrifice for your sin because Jesus already did that. All you have to do is go to God. But here's the other side of that same coin. You have access to God. God loves you. You love God. That's awesome. But you know what that does? That means the rest of your responsibility, what is on your plate when you get access to God, is that you are given the mandate, the responsibility, the mission to help as many other people know that they can have access to God at any time in any way. And if you're hiding that, you have lost your mission. Don't think for a moment that just because you feel like God has blessed you and you are in a comfortable place, that God has done that because of your comfort. He didn't do that to make you comfortable. He did that to put you in a position where you can help other people know how much God loves them. I realize this is not the most popular message, but it's necessary. Because there are people, just like the Jews, who are going to be slaughtered the difference is, in our case, people are going to be slaughtered for eternity if we do not help them know who Jesus is. If that's not a sobering fact, I don't know how much we can get past that. But that's, that's true. A pastor is not called to do this. Only we all are. The priesthood of all believers is awesome because you have direct access to God without me. But it also means you have direct responsibility from God as well. And so the question becomes, we sometimes forget, I think like Esther did. She's like, Mordecai, you don't understand. This is going to risk my life. And Mordecai says, no, 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 I fully understand. And that's why you're there. <laughs> Go risk your life. That's what he's saying to Esther. And by the way, if we think like Esther had this amazing life, like she just kind of had this cush ride into the being queen, this is something I didn't tell you about. Sometimes this is, sometimes our comfort level derails us from the mission that God has us on to tell and show as many people the love of Jesus as possible. Sometimes the comfort is what throws us off. Sometimes, and this is going to be come across as harsh, but sometimes we think that we have earned our comfort. I know I'm digging in now. Sometimes we think, I've earned it. I deserve this. Let me just tell you, this is Esther's story to a T. This is something I didn't tell you about Esther. You can read the book of Esther. It'll tell you all these things. It's one of the most phenomenal stories you will ever read. It would make one of the best movies in Hollywood that they have ever made. I promise you. You want drama. You want evil. You want good triumphing over all that, all that good stuff. By the way... Okay, I'll tell you the end of the story. It'll ruin it for you, but you're, you're, you're fine. But Esther goes into King Xerxes, right? She finally does. After fasting and praying, she knew she needed God's power to do it. She walks in and the king extends the gold scepter, but she doesn't even request it there. She invites him to a, a dinner, a banquet. Summer at the park, I'm sure. Smoked pork, I'm sure. No, but she invites him in, and then she has a dinner, and then she sets it up, and she's like, then she doesn't even request it that. She says, if I have honored the king, would you come back a second time and go to dinner? And she invites Haman, and then she reveals what Haman did at the table when they're face to face. I was like, oh, that's so good. 
That's where you want cameras on that moment. Way better than The Bachelor. And Haman is like, uh, I'm caught in my trickery. And the Jewish people are saved. There are people in your life right now destined for hell, and you are the only one that can stand in the gap for them. Let that sink in. There are people that you know that I'll never meet. So if you're waiting for the pastor to do it, they will go to hell while you're waiting. It's true. What we need to realize is that Christianity is all about us loving Jesus, but then bringing as many people as we can with us as possible. Like, if I just love Jesus and I know this is the ticket to like eternity with God and freedom and joy and, and salvation from sin and I never tell anybody about it, is that not just incredibly evil? Well, I get to go. I should have told a few other people, I guess. Sorry. Right? Come on! We are called to love Jesus and serve Jesus and bring as many people with us as we can. Don't forget your position, your place, your status, your possessions, your wealth, your job, your friends, your neighborhood, your cars, your devices. Everything you have is in your possession because God gifted it to you because he is the source of all things that are good and all of life. And the reason he gifts it to you is because he wants you to love him and he wants you to tell everybody else, show everybody else how much God loves them too. God just brought this to my mind. I know this verse well, but there is a verse in Scripture that says very simply about Jesus, if you're ashamed of me on earth, I'll be ashamed of you in heaven. Don't be ashamed. People's opinions aren't that important. I love what somebody shared on social media about Christianity. Um, loving Jesus is easy. It's loving everybody else around us that we don't like very much. That's hard. I mean, can we be honest? Uh, you think I'm speaking in theory? No. If you brought up certain names and certain faces to me, I'd be like, uh, I, I'm just, I'm being honest. There, there are people I'm just like, uh, uh, uh. There are a handful in my phone, and when I see the name pop up, I'm like, uh. And I, I, sometimes I'll flip it over. Sometimes I'll take the call. On my holy moments, I take the call. On my other moments, I'm like, uh, not today. I'm just being honest, okay? This is the truth. I love what somebody shared on social media about this. Listen to this. This is powerful. The test of Christianity is not loving Jesus, it's loving Judas. Mmm, oh, dig it and twist it. It's true. It is so true. What do you think about the disciples? Loving Jesus was no problem. He was awesome. He is awesome. 
Loving Jesus is not a problem. It's loving everybody else that doesn't treat us well. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Do you think that caused a problem with the other 11 disciples? Of course it did. And yet Jesus calls them to love him anyway? That's the hard part. See, our purpose is not to live in comfort, but to live in conviction. Your purpose is not to live in comfort. It's to live in conviction. Conviction to have passion for Jesus and and bring as many people to that as possible. The question simply becomes, how are you going to do that? Are you willing to be bold? Are you willing to be courageous? I found out about one of our teens who has read the Bible every single day since NTS camp. And this particular person had a sports camp to go to and found out he, he asked his, one of his parents to make sure, did you put my Bible into my bag before they left for this, this sports camp? Awesome. Are you willing to be bold and courageous? So I was just made aware of uh, a graduation speech that is going somewhat viral I, I, I was not aware of it until somebody else made me aware of it, uh, and it was just this last week. And uh, it's this gal named Lydia Owens. She's a graduate of high school in South Carolina, and she's valedictorian. And so as a result of that, she was obviously picked to give one of the graduation speeches. And so Lydia Owens uh, has gone through some pretty rough things in her life. They don't share all of those things in this clip that I'm about to share, but this local news station... Um, caught wind of this story, and so they decided to highlight Lydia Owens and her willingness to display her faith boldly at a public high school, and it's a large public high school, large public high school graduation ceremony. She talks boldly about Jesus. And so they do this like, it's only, it's a little less than three minutes. Take a look at this clip about somebody who's willing to put their reputation and their life on the line. I think it's pretty awesome. Take a look. Story. Even if you accomplish all of your dreams or none of them at all, you are still valuable and you are still good enough because you are made in the image of God. These are the parting words from valedictorian and senior class president Lydia Owens to her graduating class at Woodmont High School. In the three-minute speech, Owens shares how her decade-long definition of success was redirected two years ago. I had that reality check almost two years ago when my mom passed away. When tragedy struck my life, it was not my grades nor my accomplishments that helped me navigate through that loss. When everything else in my life felt uncertain, the only person that I could depend on to say the same was Jesus. Owens says her mom was her biggest inspiration. Well, she always pushed me to be my like, best self. She always encouraged me in my faith. Um, she's the reason that I had such a strong faith. Uh, she was the example to me of how to be a godly woman and how to love people intentionally. But it wasn't always easy. I got really into like a hard place where I was really doubting God and just like <clears throat> his plan for me was. I didn't understand how God could use such a terrible tragedy in my life for his glory. Her father, Brian, says apart from their faith in Christ, 
they had each other to lean on. Well, right after her mom passed away, I talked to the whole family and just said, you know, I don't really know where we go from here. I don't know really what we're going to do, but whatever we're going to do, we're going to do it together. Also, just remembering that's what my mom wanted me to do. She wouldn't want me to, like, be sad and just give up. She wanted me to be my best, and she wanted me to keep going. Encouraging those around her despite the hardships life brings. You don't have to worry about whether or not you'll be successful because God promises that his grace is sufficient for us and that his power is made perfect in our weaknesses. I asked Lydia what it was like hearing the roaring applause from her peers. I was like, okay, like this, this was the moment that God wanted, like, my, like what happened with my mom to be used for. Um, it was really difficult and it was really scary, but I got a very overwhelming positive feedback. I definitely did have some people tell me that like, oh, I knew you were going to talk about Jesus, but like that's going to happen no matter what you say. Uh, I was squalling like a baby, <laughs> obviously. Uh, there's a lot of joy and pride there, but likewise knowing that her mom wasn't there to celebrate with us this huge accomplishment. But I also take recognition of the fact that I know that she was looking down and she was definitely smiling from heaven on that day. I don't want anyone to say, wow, Lydia, you did a great job. Like, you were the one that said all those words. Like, that wasn't me speaking. Like, yes, I said the words, but that was God speaking through me. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? A high school senior, it sounded like a sermon. She talked about being made in the image of God and that your success and the, the things that you have, that doesn't, that, that's not what kept her going. It was her faith and, and that you were made in the image of God and that Jesus is there and that was the consistent thing. And she, I mean, this is amazing. But you understand that that was extremely hard and fearful for her to do that. We watched something incredible, but she had to make the decision to break through something that most people would probably not do. Such a time as this. That's what Mordecai says. What if you are here for such a time as this? A mission, a purpose. Who in your life who is in your life? Because God wants you to reach them with his love. Who's in your life? Are you there for a reason? I believe you are. And just like Mordecai, if you're here and I just maybe am here to remind you today, you have a special mission and reason for your life. And it's not to be comfortable. It's to be convicted. Convicted with God's love and salvation and joy and passion to reach as many people as we can. That's what God has called us to. Will you lean into it? Will you accept it and be bold with it? My hope is that you will. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, sometimes it's easy to go through a day and forget that you died on a cruel cross for us. 
Sometimes it's easy to go through a day without thinking about who you are. Sometimes, God, it's easy to, for us to just kind of do life as normal. But this week, I pray that you would help us to turn a corner. And we would start to realize that the meetings that we have to be in and work are not because we work there, but it's because maybe somebody in that meeting needs to be encouraged or needs to hear about love from God. Maybe not even in the meeting. Maybe it's a conversation after the meeting, but maybe there's, maybe there's a moment in the meeting. Maybe whatever it is. And, and maybe they understand they're not going to be preaching but they're simply going to make a statement. Maybe they're simply going to take a stand. Maybe they're simply going to do in that meeting, in that conversation. Maybe it's in their home, in their family. Maybe they never pray before a meal. And so some of the, the men and the women, some of the moms and dads in here, maybe they're, they're going to they're gonna step up and they're going to pray for the first time before a meal. They're, they've been scared to do it for years. Maybe today, this week, is that's going to happen. <laughs> God, maybe there's somebody at work who... You've prompted them to say something about church or about God or about Jesus and the love that they have. And they, and, and they just, they've never quite had, they've never felt like the timing's there. But in reality, they've probably just been scared of it. God, I pray that you give them courage. God, you have placed us in our places in life for such a time as this. To bring as many people to you as possible. And so we declare in this moment, this morning, that we believe, we believe that you have called us to do great things. We believe that you have called ordinary people to do extraordinary things, to bring as many people into salvation with you as possible. Because you love everybody, you love us, but you love everybody around us too. Help us to live like it, believe it, run after it live on purpose, on mission, convicted with your love and passion in our life every day. We believe that we can do that. We pray this, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I've shared this before.